Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen, amen. I'm so glad you just took my water, brother. <laughs> Take yours or another one here. I don't want to be swapping spit at the pulpit. We do it enough in the microphone. <laughs> amen, amen. So good to be in God's house. I love, love the house of God. I truly do. My life would be lost and undone if I did not have this element in my life, one that is powerful and vibrant that changes lives, and I so appreciate the opportunity to be able to minister in this house. God has truly blessed us with great ministry. It seems like every person that comes up on the platform that God uses is just dripping with talent other than myself, and I feel like I'm back there with a sponge trying to clean up what they got, you know, and dab it on me a little bit. Seems like everybody has such great talent in this church, and God has truly blessed Truth Church. He truly, truly has. There's churches where pastors do it all, and I don't feel like that's the case here. I feel like there's people that jump in with both feet and do what they can to broadcast the kingdom of God in this fair city and in the metropolitan. Amen, amen. Well, I want to preach to us tonight. I have... Uh, a word of God that I feel he has given to me for tonight. I have preached this one other time, and I feel strongly that tonight would be a time to preach this. God laid it on my heart yesterday, and I want to follow the Holy Ghost. It doesn't make sense to me when I look at my notes. It really doesn't. Not in the context of tonight. But God knows the hearts, and that's all that matters. That's really all that matters, is that God knows your heart. And if you don't have God knowing your heart tonight, this would be a good opportunity to make that introduction and let him have full control of your heart. Amen. I want to say with Brother Nelson, so good to have the guest here with us. And uh, TJ, I believe, is that your name? Excellent. So glad to have you here. You know what? Just by the fact that you're in this church and worshiping God with us tells me that God has great things for you. Because when God introduces truth to you, there is nowhere else but up, and his hand being on you, leading in you, and guiding you. Thank you for being here with us tonight. Amen, amen. I want to read a passage of scripture, if I may, in Matthew chapter 12. and will be reading from verse 38 down to 42. Matthew chapter 12. Verse 38 says this, And certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, but there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, and the men of, men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation, and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonas, and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. And the queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this, gener with this generation, and shall condemn it, for she shall come from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Amen, amen. Can we lay our Bibles down and ask God to minister to us and talk to us tonight? Heavenly Father, I love you, Jesus. I thank you, Master, for your word that you want to speak to our hearts tonight. God, I ask that you anoint us today, God. Allow us to follow after the Holy Ghost, God. Allow us to feel your presence. Speak to us tonight, God. Let us hear your words, God. It's all about you and nothing about the man behind the pulpit, God. But I ask you to be with us, God, in a mighty way. Minister to my heart, God. Change me with your word tonight. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise tonight? I love you, Master. Hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah. 
We're going to be talking tonight about the greatness of Jesus, and I pray that God does a marvelous work in our lives. You know what? It's amazing how significant God can move in your heart when you think that the waters aren't troubling in somebody's life, but they're soaking in every word that God is speaking to them, and they're filing it away. Not everybody is a screamer or a shouter. Some people like to sit back and reflect on the Word of God. And I pray that that is your response tonight, that those that hear the Word of God take it and let God feed them and let it be uh, nutritious to them and their spirit time after time after time. I can tell you I so love reading the Word of God, but I can tell you that until I fell in love with it, did it mean anything to me. Otherwise, they're just encouraging chicken soup for the soul type stories, and God, you've done it for them. But when you fall in love with the Word of God, it consumes you. It changes you. Right, Brother Nelson? It makes you more like Him. And I believe Pastor said it Sunday morning, if you are in pursuit of God, He will give you everything you need to pursue after Him. And He will fulfill every one of your promises that you've made. If you say, God, if you'll do this for me, You cannot bait God, you cannot trick Him into giving you blessings, but if you say, God, if you'll wash away these sins, I'll serve you. Those are the kind of deals that God likes to take you up on. But if He says, "Ah, God, if you let me win the lottery, those are out of scope of the promises of God. Amen, amen. I want to deliver what's on my heart and what God wants to speak to us about the greatness of Jesus and all that He's done, and we have many, many songs and verses of Scripture, and there's powerful messages that have been preached, but I want to begin to talk to us from Matthew chapter 12. And what we find is Jesus elevates Himself in His message above three critical things in the institution of Israel. And He places Himself in a higher priority. And if we begin to look through Scripture, we'll point those out, and He'll walk us through a couple of those tonight. And he places himself above those three that we called out in Scripture. And we're going to turn to one briefly, and I'll reference it here in just a moment. But what we find is, is in uh, verse 41, he begins to say, Behold, one greater than Jonas is here. And then he goes on to verse 42 and begins to say that one greater than Solomon is here. And if you flip back to verse 6, he says, But I say unto you, that in this place is one greater than the temple. And what we find is Jesus began to, in the presence of the scribes and the Pharisees, began to address three pivotal things in the life of the Jewish institution. He began to put them on notice that in verse 6 that he was greater than the temple and the priest. And in verse 41, he goes on to say, I'm greater than Jonah, than the prophet that you look at. He begins to go on to say in verse 42, he says, I'm greater than Solomon the king. And we'll get to a little more of these in detail as we move on through the verses of Scripture. But as he says, I'm greater than the temple. I'm greater than the priest. And it's ironic when you read through Scripture, in the beginning of this passage of Scripture, that segment that we're looking at, the scribes and the Pharisees began to try to trip up Jesus, and they try to uh, put words out there and make him answer something that would incriminate him in front of the crowd. And he begins to respond to say that that, that to calls them straight out what they are an adulterous generation. He seen through their heart. In, in the beginnings of verse 12, and, and it's amazing when you read through here, you begin to see how they begin to plot and connive and set away against him when he was trying to do good in their midst. He was healing people. Who wouldn't want Jesus to step in the midst and heal them? He was changing people's lives. But it was because something they didn't have, they held it against him. And they were trying to make him um, look worse than what the law was that was trying to govern them. And so many laws that they had placed upon the people far above what uh, was on the Ten Commandments, and they heaped them on the people to where it was stifling. They could hardly breathe under the law of what the Pharisees had placed on them. And, And the Jews wanted to place 
him in a box. When you look back over the Old Testament, you see how beautiful it was for them to serve him. And he gave them the law. He gave them to uh, Moses and began to share with them the law. This is what you do. And when you look back on it, it's amazing to look back at some of the things where he talks about if if you have a sore and it does this and it responds in this way in this many days and and if the hair that comes out of it is this color and he begins to give laws to protect them and what we have is the Pharisees heap on more of God so they can make him what they wanted him to be instead of allowing God to be what he needed to be in their life if they could wrap enough tradition around him, then they could control him. Then they could say, this is God. Look at him in this pretty box wrapped up in tradition. But we find that when Jesus stepped on the scene, he was trying to come and not destroy what the word of God was in the Old Testament. But he came to fulfill it. He came to give them Freedom in everything they thought they could tidy up and put a bow on and hold it back and say, no, that is not how my God is. And, and it's just as bad as someone saying, I have a personal Savior. Because you try to make Him what you need Him to be. Instead of Him stepping on the scene and changing your life and saying, now, now here's your testimony because you've been touched by the hand of God. And what we find is the Jews thought they knew who God was. They thought they had him fully understood. And they had every law and what they could and could not do. And they had the scriptures in front of them they would roll out. And they thought they had him identified, but yet they did not understand who was standing before him for them that very day as he began to do miracles, signs, and wonders. And the problem with tradition... It is, if abused, there's some traditions that we have. Our service structure, sometimes we hold to that as tradition. In some churches, it's, you didn't give me an opportunity to testify, and someone storms off. I had a testimony that God gave me in the day, and the pastor didn't say, does anybody have a testimony? And there's some churches that have different components and elements of their service, and it becomes their culture, becomes a part of their service. But none of those things should be so sacred that God cannot move in the midst and push that right out of the way, even as to the preached word of God. Sometimes God knows what's best and just steps in all the time. He knows what's best, but sometimes he steps in through the vein of the spirit and begins to move and begins to make. And you, when you look back on it, you don't understand what it is. And I remember as a young person growing up, there was a young man we knew that he would take a puzzle and he would not just do it right side up, but he would turn it over so that the pictures were inverted so you didn't see them as just the brown back. And he would sit there and start putting them all together. And he didn't care what the picture was. It was solving the puzzle. And sometimes we get that way with God. It's I come to church and we just see the brown back. I have fulfilled my obligation to church. God sees what's on the flip side. But he says, if you'll step over and do this, something beautiful can happen. If you'll go over here and talk to this person, something beautiful can happen. And as he stands at the balcony of life and begins to orchestrate each and every one of our lives, it is a pity to us when we say, no, I have learned this part. I'm going to sing this part. I'm going to do this part. And I'm going to do it as I, as I have seen fit. And this is all I know but when God steps over and says, I want to teach you something new. I want to show you something new. I'm greater than what you have held to in your life. And then what we find is Jesus then heals on the Sabbath. In verse 10, it talks about, and, and behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. And they asked him, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days that they might accuse him? So they're trying to set him up. They're trying to play on the emotions of Jesus. The man standing there has performed countless miracles before this. And what we see them sit there and try to set the stage. All right, here we go. Here's our perfect opportunity. We're standing on the Sabbath day. You can't do anything. The law of the Sabbath is so 
strict and very, um, if you read through it, it's very precise what you can and cannot do. You can't work and, and, and there's things that if someone's staying in your house and they do work and then there's a price to pay and then if you go do work then there's a dear price to pay and what they're doing is they're setting it up to where Jesus can walk in and they say, would you heal this man? And he said unto them, what man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep? And if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? And how much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. And then he said to the man, stretch forth thy hand. And he stretched it forth and was restored whole like as the other. And the Pharisees went out and held counsel against him how they might destroy him. All of that preceded our text for tonight. What we find is Jesus begins to tell them he's greater than all the things they held dear in their life. Jesus is greater than the prophets, and through bad intentions, the pressing people began to require a sign, a sign that they could say, show us that you are the Messiah. But yet the Messiah stood there right in front of them that very moment. And Jesus gave them the scriptural response by using the words of Jonah and telling them that three days in the belly of a well that Jonah was, so will I be three days in the earth. And Jesus showed them what the sign was that he was requesting of them. Repentance. He used Jonah to say the man who had the greatest revival was able to walk in and preach the word of God. He started out in disobedience, but God pointed him back through his journey in the belly of um, whale cruise lines and dropped him off at his first port, puked him up on land and said, go preach a revival. And he had the greatest revival, the greatest revival, won the entire city. Everybody fasted and prayed. A hundred percent participation. It's hard to get that in a church of 50 or 100, but the entire city was seeking after God and said, all right, the man of God has walked into these city, the city doors. We're going to obey him. He gave them, the scribes and the Pharisees, they knew exactly who Jonah was. They knew the story frontwards and backwards and had written it and preached it and read it. And Nineveh repented. We find that in Mark chapter 6, I won't turn there for the sake of time, what we find is Jesus, how he handled people that did not listen to the word of God. In Mark chapter 6, I believe it's in verse 5, when he was in there teaching in his hometown, Nazareth, they began to wonder at him and said, is this not Jesus, son of Joseph? Isn't this his sisters and his brothers and they began to question him being in their midst doing these miracles. And the amazing thing is, when Jesus gives you an opportunity to respond to the word of God and you don't, look what he did to his own family. He left Nazareth and did hardly any miracles. I think he said he just touched a few and left because of their unbelief. Walked out of that city and left them. Not because, oh, they were family, and you can never win your family, but it was all about their unbelief. And then we find Jesus begins to question about Solomon and how great Solomon is in the midst. And the Jews, through their learned wisdom, made demands on Christ. And, but he challenged their learned wisdom and begins to challenge their authority by saying that he was greater and as we begin to walk through scriptures, you'll find in 1 Kings, and I won't turn there, but we'll, get, we'll just talk through a brief part of it. In 1 Kings chapter 10, we find even Queen Sheba uh, gave more response to the word of God, what Solomon gave, than what we have the scribes and the Pharisees gave that day to Jesus Christ. And Queen Sheba came there with tons and tons of questions and her heart was burdened with questions and she walked up and began to ask him and he began to share the wisdom. We find that in verse 9, Queen Sheba gave to Solomon quantities that had never been seen before. 
And it says that Solomon gave to the queen all that she desired. And in verse 13, I find this fascinating. It says that in Solomon gave to her more than she gave to him. God does that very same thing. These people looking back saying how great the king Solomon is in his vast amount of wisdom and everything that he walks on and people were traveling from the depths of the earth, it says. And he would come in and talk to them and explain to them his wisdom that God had given to him, answer their questions and began to show and, and verify to them, this is the way you should do it. And they would heap treasure upon treasure upon treasure upon treasure to Solomon because of the wisdom that God gave him. The greatest of all the kings and how wise he was. But then you have Jesus in his audacity to challenge the words of Queen of Sheba to say, put him upon a throne. He's the great and mighty king. Jesus says, I'm greater than him. Can you imagine the scribes and the Pharisees saying, what? What did you just say? You, just a mere man, are greater than King Solomon? How dare you? How dare you do this? After he had questioned the temple, after he had questioned the prophet, after he had questioned the king, we find that Jesus attacked three specific institutions of the Jewish people. We have to have that very same response when he addresses us. There was a message that was going to be preached. We find in Luke chapter 12 and verse 49, and it says, I am come to send fire on the earth, and what will I if it be already kindled? But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how am I straightened until it is accomplished? What we find is Jesus is telling them, this is what I come to share with you. I've come to address your institutions and name them off one by one. And this is the message that I want to preach to you. We find in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11, John the Baptist preparing the way. And he says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But that he cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. We find that prophesied in Isaiah chapter 4 and verse 4. And it says, And when the Lord shall have washed away all the filth of the daughters of Zion, and shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof by the judgment, by the spirit of judgment, and by the spirit of burning. He is going to do a permanent thing in your life. When you look at Isaiah chapter 4 and verse 4, he's telling, I'm going to purge the blood of Jerusalem in the midst thereof by the spirit of judgment. There's something that's going to be coming that's a burning fire that's going to step in your midst. If you look back in other verses of scripture in Isaiah, it talks about it in chapter 3 and verse 1. He said he's going to temporarily take away some things. And in verse 18, he says the very same thing. It's talking about their food, their manna, their sustenance. He also talks about their, their jewelry, their apparel, their fine things. It's, he references it as if it's a temporary taking away. But when you look in 4 and verse 4, it's a permanent remedy to their problem. It's a promise of something that's going to burn so bright and so fervent and so rich and so free, but it has to change your life. It's not just that I've experienced God just for a moment or for a brief season or wasn't that a good service the other night and you step out and the service fades from your memory and it hasn't been impactful to you. You have to give God the tender to burn inside of your heart. When we look through scriptures, we find in Acts chapter 2, we all know these verses of scripture. None of them are unfamiliar with you. We're going to get somewhere tonight where I believe God wants to talk to us. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a, 
as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. We find this promise, we live this promise. We are this promise. The Word of God in our life is confirmed that this came to pass. This was something that has changed my life and has changed so many others that are in this house tonight. But this is what I want to spend some time on tonight. We look in Mark chapter 12 and verse 28. And one of the scribes came and heard them reasoning together and perceived that he had answered them well and asked them, which is the first commandment of them all? And Jesus answered him and said, first of all, first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. It goes on to talk about loving your neighbor as yourself. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and your soul and your body be preserved blameless until the coming of of our Lord at Jesus Christ. I want to stop and talk to us at this point. God has a plan of salvation that he gave to us. A very specific repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Each one of those components address a component in our life to conquer. Now it's easy for something to be torn down and for it to grow back up. I have cleaned out. We have lived in our little old house 16 years, I think it is. And I have cleaned out that fence row time after time after time again. I despise that fence row. I'm ready to go out there with napalm, fire, and brimstone. And it seems like I'm the only one in my neighborhood that cares about it because my neighbors on either side of it, they don't touch it. And I'm out there with a chainsaw and cutting and hacking and, and it just seems like it's a burden to me. But when I get it cleaned out, it looks so good. It looks so beautiful. I'm like, look at what I did. Why didn't I do this earlier? And I think, man, that makes the yard look great. And then it grows right back. How dare it grow right back? And it comes back thicker and bigger and mightier, and it comes back, and it's like a raging forest over you. And I walk back there, and I just give up. I haven't touched it in years. I'm sick and tired of it. I know my neighbors, when they get tired of it, I'll get tired of it. And we'll tackle it together. And that's my mentality about that stupid fence row. And we approach God somewhat the same way. God, I've got the Holy Ghost. I gave my testimony at work today. 23 years ago, he delivered me. But we haven't maintained the fence row. There was a day in every one of our testimonies where we can say he toppled the institutions of my life. Otherwise, you don't have a testimony. We all have a testimony where we can say I was repented of my sins. I baptized in Jesus' name and then filled with the Holy Ghost. Every aspect of me was subject and captive unto Christ and his word. If you claim the Holy Ghost, that is what you have to do. But there are things in our life that we allow to grow back. And when we let them come back, it's just like the Pharisees. Law? Oh, we've got the law. And then they just pile it on. And they just pile it on. 800, 900 additional more laws above and beyond what God had given to Moses and shared with the children of Israel. And they just pile it on. Saints of God, he has given us the formula to address every problem you have in your life. We need to go back and revisit and say, God, you're greater than the temple. God, you're greater than the man. God, you're greater than the kings in my life. Yes, you are. You have to let him rule those areas. 
You have to give him your body, your soul, your mind, your strength, your spirit, every aspect, every word that applies to you, and then he can do something. Because I can tell you my testimony is not just got filled with the Holy Ghost and it's just been straight up rocket sales year after year trending above and beyond what the previous year was. It hasn't been that way. We've had some spiritual recessions. We've had some recessions to where you feel like you have absolutely nothing left. That you're having to ration your spirit just to have the strength to get up because why? Something took control in my life. I let something grow up. I let something consume. I let something get out of balance. I let something get in the way that prevented me from feeling God. I would lift my hands and they might as well just been waving in the air because there was nothing connecting them with my soul. And we can get into church and we can sit there and say, yeah, I go to church. But we've let something grow up in the way. We've let the hedge start to, to get up. And you know what? There's hedges over in Europe. That I remember the Allied forces talking about where uh, they were like a wall. They were so thick, you couldn't even get through them. The tanks would come up and try to break them down. And, and they would breach them and push them back over. And next thing you know, the tank would drive off and those things would spring back up. We can do the very same thing in our life. We have areas in our life that he has given us the formula. The formula to be an overcomer. The formula to achieve. The formula to put things to rest once and for all. But you have to keep doing that formula. It's not round up. You go to the shelf. We bought some um, just the other day. And I'm standing there at the shelf. And I'm going to go do some stuff there at the church there at Southridge. And, and we're going to take out some vegetation. And, and the best kind of yard work in my book is kill it all. And so we're, I'm looking at the shelf, and I'm like, okay, this one here is monthly. <laughs> nope. Three months. Nope. Like, is there anything more? Six months. Nope. Year. All right. A year? I don't have to touch this for a year. And we get that same mentality. God, I want a red-hot camp meeting, so I'm good for the rest of the year. God, I want a red-hot Sunday night service, Sunday morning service, Tuesday night Bible study, rip-roaring, just burn it all, scorched earth, let's start over, so I don't have to touch this mess of me for a year. And God says, I'll give you those services. I'll give you those times with me. But they're not an end-all to your problems. You have to maintain the presence of God in your life. You have to go back out there and say, do I see something green coming up? You don't say, well, I'll get it when it gets big enough for me to grab. You know what? You grab that shovel, just like I do when I run across a snake in the yard. I beat that thing back into the earth it came from. You have to get that same mindset. When you see sin or that spirit or just that little small fox start sleeping, slipping in and you're like, nope, not today, buster. And you beat it back to the ground and you spray it and you kill it and you cut it off and you watch for that thing to come back up. If you don't, it's going to start coming up. And if you're not paying attention, it's going to overtake you spiritually. We get these building blocks, and we say, God, you, you tore down this wall in my life. And we get comfortable, and we say, you know, my OCD won't let those just lay there. I need to arrange them to where they look nice. At least let them look nice. And we start straightening up those, those walls that God broke down and fulfilled our testimony. And next thing you know, well... It doesn't look right when it's sitting by itself. What if I put one on top of another? I like to be organized. I like to have things uh, in its set place. And we'll put it back on top. And the next thing you know, that wall has been built back up. What Jesus said he's greater than, you have now given back a place in your life. And it all starts with going back to the very beginning. God, you said you have... A, a, a gift that you want to give to me. You want to burn and consume everything. 
we have a, a term uh, that we use loosely in, 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 in the rail environment, and it says you want to when you say I want to do something to scorched earth, that means that you are taking it down to where nothing is left. You are building from absolute zero. And we've done this with several different projects that I've been part of. And, and everybody knows what you're talking about when you say, we're going to take this all the way and we're going to do a scorched earth approach to this. They know nothing is left. You are starting over from a design that is at zero. God wants to give you that same opportunity if you don't have the Holy Ghost to give you that same level set of zero. To where you look down and you say, God, I don't know how you did it, but it's beautiful. You have filled my life with your promise. You have changed me. You have made me in your image. God, I thank you for doing that in my life. But saints of God, sometimes we stand there and we say, yep, I remember the jungle that used to be a part of the mess of my life. I remember it vividly how God has changed me and how he cleared out all this mess. But then we think, but this, this grass feels so good on my bare feet. This feels so good. It's so comfortable. The nice, cool grass and the shade that hangs over it. And I'll just water it a little bit. And next thing you know, you say, I've got it all under control. And then you start to question, well, pastor hasn't preached on this in a while. Ah, it feels so, so good. It's okay. It's not out of control. You run your hands through it just as you would if you've ever ran your hands across the top of the wheat field and feel it tickle your hand. Like, that feels okay. Well, Pastor hasn't mentioned this in a long time, or as long as I've been here, I've never heard him preach against it. So I, I guess it must be all right. But you know what God pulled from your field. You know how God changed you when he saved you. We don't all have the same background. Not everybody was born again and baptized and prayed through and Bible studied in this church. We all know what it takes to get to heaven. Pastors shouldn't have to get up and belabor the point of all those things that are required of us to be children of God. We know. Because we look out on our field and we say, yeah, that was where this was put to death. This is where I don't have to deal with this anymore because as soon as I see life, I crush it. Devil, I don't want you to have this part in my life anymore. I don't want you to have dominion in my life in that way anymore. We have to have that mindset that when we walk in, it's no, well, you know, it'll be all right for three months, and I'll leave it alone. We need to go and get the ground control spray to where it's years. God, I'm going to keep applying this stuff every time I see life. I'm just going to keep spraying it. God, kill it. Destroy it in my life. Help me. That sin that so easily besets me, crush it, God. You have to give it to him and say, crush it. Now let's talk like adults. There is nobody in here perfect. Everybody has that sin. Everybody has that sin. I have that sin. That want to so easily beset me. That want to just crush me at every opportunity. And when you can say, well, it hasn't bothered me in a while. Or, I have it under control. When you say those very words, it's already in control. When you say, I've got it this time, it's already in control. When you say, I can do it for a while, it already has full control of your spirit. When you can give it just a little bit of grace in your life, and you're like, maybe it'll be different this time. It's already in full control. It has wrapped itself around your feet. It's intertwined around your arms. It's controlling you and making you do whatever you, it wants you to do. I can speak from experience. 
I can speak from experience. And we can all, if we were to ever stand up and say, God has done this for me, we would say, if it weren't for the grace of God, I would not be here today. The reason you wrestle with things and it seems like it never gets out of your life is because you have an area in your life you have not submitted to God. That means one of the three areas of your life is not in full submission to God. Because when you're full of His Word, when you're full of prayer, when fasting is not a chore, and when it comes up you're not like, ugh, it's 6.09 and you're binging in the refrigerator. You're like, let me get one more meal in so I can make it to 2 o'clock. When it's a chore, but when you say, it's church time, let us go to the house of God. I haven't always had that mindset. There were, I, I know the Hilton family can, can sympathize with me a little bit, but when you live next to the church, it seems like you're the one that does everything. Well, the Hiltons are there. They'll take care of it. And I remember as a young man, there was a bunch of able-bodied men in the church. And I remember mowing the grass at, when I was tall enough to push that red snapper mower, I think it was a great day for my brother and every other man in the church because, oh, the golf family, they'll take care of the church. and They're, they're just right there, and they'll mow. And you're out there with a 22-inch snapper mowing a couple of acres, and you're just bored out of your mind because it's one stripe after another, and you're cutting about 19 inches at a time because you're overlapping so your lines are straight. And you begin to get just weary about being at church. And saints of God, you may have been around this church for a long time or a short time. But don't grow weary in well-doing. Because in due season, when we can get rid of all that undergrowth, when we can get rid of all the things He's delivered us from, because I can tell you, if every one of those things I said... If you give it just a little bit, it already has control. It's already in there. It's already weaseling its way into your spirit and trying to change you. Next thing you know, you're like, church isn't that important to me anymore. When at one time you said, it's my life. When at one time you said, I can't live without it. You're now questioning whether you should even go to church or not. I've been there. I've been there. I've lived it in my life to where I said, I don't care if my dad is preaching. I don't care who's preaching. I don't want to go to church tonight. And there was a time when I was a young man, and I would find a way to get out of going to church. Mom, I don't feel well. I don't, I'm not feeling good. There was even a time, I may have used this before, but there was even a time when after Sister Golf and I got married, I really wasn't feeling well, but I probably could have made it to church. Truth be told, I could have made it to church. And this was in the first couple years of us getting married. And I remember her, she brought me in a cup of tea. She set it on there on the nightstand. She said, well, take your temperature. So I take my temperature, and I put it in my mouth, and she walks away. I drop it in the hot tea. I'm like, I, this is my golden ticket. I won't have to go to work. I won't have to go to church. She's going to realize this thing is hot. And so I hear her start to come. And so I grab it and I pop it in my mouth. I'm sitting there and I realize I had done something terribly wrong. It was far hotter than what that thermometer could handle. It shattered in my tea. And I put in a thermometer that was jagged glass in my mouth. And it was a come queen real quick moment. Honey, I think I've done something I shouldn't have done. One, I just put broken glass in my mouth trying to deceive you. Two, I just put something that's probably covered in liquid mercury in my mouth that poisons you to death. There is no telling what you will do to not do what God wants to do in your life. In stupidity, I did that. Now, it's humorous now, but it put the fear of God on me then. I didn't know what I had done, if I had cut my tongue, my mouth, but I had to come clean. God gives us service after service. 
And he doesn't want to have us have those come clean moments. He wants to give us the opportunity to say, God, yeah, let's talk like adults. Today was not my greatest day. Can you help me? And let's clean this earth up around me because you have something you want to give to me that washes away everything. Everything. If we're children of Him, we have to be in love with the Word of God. If we're children of Him, we have to want to fast. Now, our flesh doesn't, but we know what it does to us. You know what that is? That's another application of Roundup. When we fast and we go beyond what pastor says, if you could make it to 2, when you sit there and say, it's 2.30, I can probably go longer. You're putting another application of Roundup. You're telling the devil, I don't have to do the minimum. I don't have to do the absolute bare minimum to survive and be a Christian. I'm saying these things today. I'm not screaming my head off, but I believe God is reaching for somebody that he wants to help them get out of the mess they're in and help them realize you are in a funk. You are stuck in a cycle. You're finding excuses why you don't want to come to church. You're finding excuses why you can't pray. I've got this problem. I've got that problem. And the devil will supply you with an endless supply of problems. He will give until you say stop. If you say, man, I wish I didn't, he'll say, well, have you thought about this? He'll give you a reason. I don't care if every one of your loved ones walk out the door and you're the last one left. God has called you to be his child. He has given us all the opportunity to live for him that are in this house tonight. This is, even if it's your first service, it's your opportunity. And if you're a established saint of God in the house tonight, he's saying, just dig deeper. Look around some more. Do you see anything green? And as I begin to spray all those weeds, and I begin to go and look, and I would spray and soak, and I would coat it, and I'm like, I don't want to have to deal with this again. We went back several days later, and it was nothing, nothing more beautiful. I think I even cried at how brown the grass was. It was so beautiful. It was heartwarming. I was like, Tiny Tim, Christmas time. I smell popcorn, gifts, Thanksgiving, everything memorable in my life just rose to the top, brown grass. I love that moment. And I would, draw, I would drive by, like, there used to be grass there. And I would like, look at how nice this is. But yet, when we look at our spiritual side, we say, it's so, I feel like I have to wear this, do this, say that, act like this. I need some color in my life. It's already got you. It's already got you. When I can push the line, I need a little bit of excitement in my life. When God saved you from all that mess, and He's reaching for you tonight, telling you, why don't you go back and look at the earth again and find out, do I see any green? Do I see any seeds? I want to crush it. I want to demolish it. I want to spray it. Amen. Sister Tori, would you come to the music? This is not something that you just go out and do overnight. God doesn't change you and you say, I never have to deal with it again. The reason you're wrestling and the reason why I wrestled is because I thought one application would do me. One good hot service would do me. If only pastor would lay his hands on me, I'll be good for a while. If I could only have one shout, I'll be good for a while. But Jesus, when he stepped in the midst of the Pharisees, he destroyed everything and challenged everything that was important in their life. The Pharisees, the temple, how dare you talk about the temple? How dare you talk about the man of God? How dare you challenge our king? And Jesus says, I'm greater than all of these. And what I want to challenge you tonight, if you will look deep within your heart, whether you do it tonight or tomorrow or the next day, but eventually there's going to be a time that comes when it's too late. But 
God wants us to look at our life and say, God, do you see anything in my life that should not be there? And this is building block zero for revival. If you can't conquer this, you can't have revival. This is scorched earth ground zero for revival. If you keep wrestling, something has dominion in your life. Because when you conquer it day after day, He gives strength upon strength. And when you find yourself falling back, something has come back. And we all wrestle. And I pity my past for why I wasted so much time wrestling when I had the answer preached to me, taught to me, arms of love wrapped around me, and I held it in my hands every time I picked up the word. That doesn't mean I've conquered it once and for all, but I have the formula. Keep applying the word of God to your life. It's the roundup. And you can say, preacher, I've got it. It's already got you. Can we stand tonight? Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 3 says, For I pour water upon him that is thirsty, and floods upon dry ground. And I will pour my spirit upon thy seed, and my blessing upon thine offspring. If you want the blessings of God, if you want what God has for you in your life, You've got to have that scorched earth approach that says, God, I may have had the Holy Ghost five years, ten years. Wash me and make me clean again. Burn what is in me and purify my soul. Make me in your image. God wants to talk to someone tonight, and I believe he has. And I believe he's wanting to help somebody. If you just listen to this preacher tonight, I don't have the answers, but he does. He wants to help someone tonight. Can we find us a place to pray tonight and let God continue to do a work in our life? Heavenly Father, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I thank you, God. Search my heart, God. Purify me, God. I want a place to foster revival. Let it be birthed within me, God. Give it the place where it can grow, Master. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Let's talk to him tonight, church. Let's take a few moments and talk to him tonight, God. Help me. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus.